Okay, so let's move seamlessly now. Sorry to interrupt your ceremony. It's nothing personal. I just want to devour your god. This is like some gravity treatment. M O L M M. That feels apocryphal, but I'll take it. No, that's true. Don't look it up. Don't look it up. I mean, that is made for undiscerning days. I'll just auto tune that, put a little guitar solo at the end. Perfect. All right. Six hours later. Y'all done got digitally painted. You done got digitally painted. Welcome to another meandering episode of Men of Low Moral Fiber, the show where the protagonists and points of view are constantly changing throughout and where no amount of public praise or immense hype will ever go to our heads. No matter what, we're going to be us, guys. Okay. Uh, I'm your host, Ben Helms, and with me as always is my game-picking, whiskey-loving, cat-chasing big brother and co-host, Jason Helms. How's it going? I used to live in Kentucky. You did? Oh, that's true. Did. That's the connection For to the game. Two years. Huh. I'm yeah. sure I knew that at the time. I hope we have right? a better connection. Yeah. I like to think that the connection is that I played the game. <laughs> that's that's my connection with the game. <laughs> that's true. All right. And and also with us, uh, when, at least when we're not playing those modern space explody what's its games with their fast clicking and funny talk, Corrigan Vaughn. Hey! Yeah. Hello! No Star Wars this month. It's so nice for there not to be Star Wars this month. Right? Right? Isn't that great? Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this past month, we uh, this is a very like serene, calm intro, I feel like, compared to a lot of them. It is. We're all preparing. We are, uh, emotionally. There is, a, there is a battle coming. <laughs> oh, wow. Dear listener. Wow. All right. I, know, I so, love that. Yeah. When I asked, can I do anything to prep for this? Meaning like, do you want me to look up history, critique, anything? Ben just says, prepare to defend your perspective. <laughs> Choose your weapon. Oh. Which I feel like would oh, okay. be good for anyone just hanging out with me in general. Yeah. <laughs> hey, what do you want to do tonight? Prepare to defend your perspective. <laughs> All right. Let's talk. We're going to get a beer and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong about what beer you got. Exactly. That's how the night will it's start. Really fun at parties. Yeah. 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 Mine's wrong too, but this is why. Okay, anyway, <laughs> yeah. this past month, uh, we dove into the highly anticipated surreal indie pentology uh, that just released its final act this month, Kentucky Route Zero, uh, and which you probably know because it's scrolling on the device that you're looking at right now that you clicked on. Anyway, uh, we'll get into who liked it, who didn't, uh, and all that jazz towards the end. Uh, but first, let's talk about development, which Jason's going to take the lead on because he's a faster reader than me, uh, which again, <laughs> we'll also talk about later. Uh, then we'll talk about uh, the gameplay. Uh, we'll point fingers at who's smart and who has taste before getting into a drunken round of what's the drink, what's the song. Talking about what else we're playing. <clears throat> Gwent. Always Gwent. Only Gwent all the time. Anyway. Uh, and of course, what's coming up next month. And also, we're going to squeeze a new segment in there somewhere. Uh, I don't know where yet. We'll figure it out along the way. Uh, Jason. Quick question. Is your question, can Ben not say let's squeeze another segment in there somewhere? <laughs> Oh, gross. Secondary, yes. Gross. Uh, my, no, uh, just, do you both say route? I can't. I don't know. I get so scared every you, time. I say route. Is that you wrong? Said route. Well, I say route, and it didn't occur to me to even think of it any other way until you just said it, and I was like. Oh. Except you say it like like a southern gumbo. Like a roux. Like a roux. Kentucky roux, zero. There's no T <laughs> when you say it. I made a roux. Cook yourself up a roux. Is there roux and gumbo? Also, yes, yes, there is a yes. gumbo. Awesome. Um, okay, you talk now. But also on that note, too, I just want to point out that this past week, Keo was working. My husband was working um, some 
gaming thing. Oh, he was at PAX East. That's where he was. Uh, and one of his colleagues was wearing a Kentucky Route Zero shirt, uh, but it said like KY Zero on it. And thus Keo was watching this guy approach like, why does he have a shirt with my name on it? And That's was awesome. extremely confused. <laughs> I was like, oh, oh my gosh. yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, it does look like Kia when you abbreviate it. So that's amazing. Now I also want to do that to a stranger of just wear a shirt with their name on it and walk <laughs> up to them and yes. say hi. Yes. You put the right kind of name on it. Eventually, you're going to run into someone who's like, why? What? Why? <laughs> why is this happening? That's me. Anyways, development, Jay. I apologize for the little interlude there. but No, th- that was wonderful. Um <laughs> Uh, so in terms of the development, uh, one thing I wanted to say first, cause Ben, you alluded to, um, this game sometimes feeling like, uh, it's, it's smarter than you. Uh, and I don't mean you, Ben, I mean you, the player. <laughs> Everyone um, felt like this was smarter than Ben. Right. While they played it. <laughs> right. Wow. That's important. All players that seems ever way played smarter than Ben. Felt like he he didn't even miss a beat. Yup. Absolutely. Yep. yep. That's yeah. a given. I'm on board. Yeah. Right. Um, one thing I noticed when I was reading interviews, uh, was, it just felt like every interviewer was trying to prove how smart they were mm. and like casually mention all the illusions that they noticed. And Hey, was Pinchon a big influence on you guys or, you know, where are you going with this? Um, <laughs> I noticed the subtle uh, leap motif of, you know, and it was like the greatest thing about this was the developers had no interest in that whatsoever. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> okay. And it was like, it was still intentional at times at least. Yeah, right? Definitely. Yeah. But it it wasn't like you could tell that that was more like a game that they had played with themselves. Right. right. Like, ooh, what's something else I could put in here? Oh, that'd be fun. And it's kind of funny because I think, you know, what you noticed is you were sort of messaging us the things you noticed kind of very much from like your like interests and studies and stuff like that. Whereas like literally, I mean, I think I noticed a couple things, but the like one that the only one I really remember noticing was like a Walt Whitman quote that was like just put into the dialogue there uh randomly i think it was like i contradict myself uh, very well yeah you I know yeah that's like yeah i was like oh there's just like a random whitman thing in here so it makes perfect sense that it's not really about like oh am i supposed to dissect whitman now that there's been a quote in here right it's like no they just felt like throwing it in much like whitman it contains multitudes it contains multitudes mm. correct mm. yeah uh, yeah, one of the ones that went over nicely was uh, the interviewer saying something about like, so the machine is called Xanadu, and I couldn't help but think of Kublai Khan, and, and it's in a cave in the caverns, measureless to man in, in Kublai Khan. And they're like, yeah, no, that's that's good. Also, uh, in the 60s, Ted Nelson started this thing called Project Xanadu that was basically the internet. And the internet could have t- gone in this totally different way, but like it, it crapped out, and he never got to finish his project. But we thought it was really cool. <laughs> it was like, no, like we were making a completely different You way overthought reference. that. Yeah, the computer called Xanadu is named after a computer called Xanadu. Go figure. It's just, that that was it. Uh, Yeah, so the development started out with uh, just two people, Jake Elliott, uh, who's in charge of writing, and Tomas uh, Kamenchi, who's in charge of art and animation. And then later they added musician Ben Babbitt, uh, whose role really expanded throughout the development of the project. Um, It started out on Kickstarter in 2011. And this is when Kickstarter was like not a thing. This was yeah. one of the earliest games uh, funded on Kickstarter for nine thousand dollars. Wow! Yeah, and didn't it? Wow. It only made like eight thousand something, didn't it? Was under nine thousand dollars? Yeah. yeah. No, no, no. It, it they they started at at eight and it, it hit nine. 
Oh, okay. I it, thought it, it was over, like slightly they were under. Like, Whoa, huge success. Yeah. Wow. Um, amazing. And then uh, I believe it was after episode one or when episode one was uh, kind of nearing completion that Annapurna got on and it became a, big, a bigger project. Uh, but it was fun reading some of the interviews from 2013 when Act One came out. Uh, and they were still pretty, it was a very small team. And they're talking about, so uh, Elliot handled the um, writing, Comanche handled the art and animation. And then the big question then would be, so who did the programming? Because it is a video game. Yeah. And that's not covered in either of those two things. And the answer was both of them, kind of a little bit of each, back and forth. And it was really messy. <laughs> uh, so much so that they're like, one of the reasons they didn't want to bring on anyone else was they were embarrassed about their code. Aww. And I totally get Relatable. that as someone who codes and is nowhere near as good as them. But it's like, oh, my code's so ugly. No, yeah. Nobody will understand it. It's just, you know, it's so idiosyncratic and weird. And let me just do my thing. Um, that just warmed my heart to hear That's that. That's really funny. Yeah. So one, I pulled a couple quotes, but one that I really liked, uh, and this idea came up throughout a bunch of the interviews, was uh, the way that choice works in the game. So this is Jake Elliott from an interview with The Verge, which is a very good interview filled with spoilers. So he says, we didn't want to let the player be strategic or play strategically. And that shows up in a lot of different ways in the game. And it's been something that's been a design guideline that we've come back to a lot. So this kind of answers a question for me, which was it. There's a lot of ways that this game does not feel like a game or doesn't feel like the traditional point and click adventure game. And one of them is I'm not making choices, I felt like. And that's not entirely yeah. true. I am making choices, just not in the, the way that I recognized it. In other words, usually my choices are strategic. Right. right. There's some kind of I can go back and check. Was it the right choice? There is a win state and a fail state. Right. And this is proceeding a puzzle this way. that you're trying to solve. Right. Yeah. The choices I'm making in this game are more like angles, emotional angles. Where is this character coming from? What's their motivation? Right. So the, the, mm -hmm. the line that's going to come after will be the same. But is it because the character is estranged from his daughter or is it because he can't remember his address? Right. And both of those will completely change why he is quiet and then says, well, I, I guess I just don't know. Right. And it like completely changes everything. It's really cool. But the things you're changing are you're kind of changing reality in this really right. strong way. And it makes you feel like a co-writer. I see that. Yeah. I mean, I, th I was watching a YouTube video and I thought it was interesting. They, they were summarizing, I guess this YouTube video was related to um, a website that had also done a review of it. And they were like, you're not really making choices that affect outcomes, but they're about behaviors, which I thought kind of gets at it a little bit. I'm like, yeah, it is about behaviors, right? And kind of how these people respond to things. But I think you're getting more at what it's actually doing is like the emotional level of this. And I found myself really like with a lot of the characters feeling like I had developed this backstory for them through those choices. Yeah. And so when I picked something, I'm like, what does it feel to me like Ezra would say, right? You know, like, what a, what do I think has happened to his family? And, like, what is the deal with Julian? And why does he, why does he want to stay in one place? Or why would he want to leave a place? Or things like that. And so I felt like I was, yeah, I think, you know, this idea of writing it alongside them is this idea that I was like, I have chosen what their internal conflicts are and what their worlds are like as I've gone along with this, more so than I've chosen the direction this game is going, because it's just going to go where it's going to go. 
Yeah, so one thing that uh, kind of happens early, because um, we're not quite to spoilery stuff yet, we'll, we'll give you the warning. Yeah. Uh, towards the end of Act 1, one of the main characters, Conway, injures his leg. But the way it's presented to the player is the one of the characters says, are you okay? And Conway says either, uh, I'm fine, uh, or it's no big deal, or yeah, my leg's stuck pretty bad. And at that point in the game, I was like, I think that's a more interesting story if his leg struck, stuck really bad. Mm-hmm. Now, based on the way the game goes, I'm... I'm going to say 99% certain the other two answers still result in him hurting his leg. Yeah. I think I said, no, I'm fine. Right. And you still limped, right? You still, yeah. Yeah. You still, yeah, yeah, exactly. It's a major story point. Um, yeah. And so you, you can't undo that. It just changes what kind of person Conway is. Right. You know, is he the kind of person who would say, oh yeah, no, my leg's stuck. This sucks. Or is he the (laughs) kind of person that would say, nah, it's no big deal. I'll just, you know, brush it off. Right. 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 With either way, the result for the player is to feel like they caused it, right? Mm, and so mm-hmm. for me, I kept thinking, man, what if I'd taken one of those other choices? Maybe it's my fault his leg is hurt, right. uh, which is actually Conway's story. He blames himself for his leg being hurt, um, which is really important as the story goes on. Whereas if you play it off, I imagine that if I'd chosen that one, I would say, oh, I should have sought help right away. I should have just admitted that my leg was hurt rather than trying to play it cool. It's my fault that my leg's not right. getting better. Yeah. I think one of you, I don't know which one of you sent which article that I was reading about this, but it was the one in which the author of this article had talked about uh, um, chipping his tooth. Yeah, Austin Walker. Yeah, and he had sort of talked about how, like, under capitalism, which of course is like the sort of thread throughout this entire game, any form of, like, financial setback is a result of your own failings. And that, you know, what you see in this game is like, he looks at it like you should have planned for this to happen to you, even though you couldn't have known it was going to happen. And so that's kind of what is happening with Conway throughout this entire game is that even though there's no possible way he could have known, or we as the player could have known this was going to happen and did we cause it and was our fault, we should have had a windfall there. There should have been something to fall back on. And the lack of something to fall back on is a personal failing Uh, which I think is an interesting thought. You know, it absolutely is how our society kind of works. Uh, And you're watching that in action throughout this game, which I thought was an interesting illustration. All right. You guys want to get into gameplay and plot and have our fights? Yes. Let's do it. I think I'm going to be sort of the middle ground on this because I feel like Ben, like you hated it most. And Jason, you really loved it. And I'm kind of in a like a little bit of both. Yeah. You know what? Can we do our segment now? Yeah. What segment? I feel like my segment. Oh, your new that, segment. So I wrote a script. Squeeze that segment in somewhere. Ugh. I'm going to do it right now. I'm going to squeeze my segment in right here. Oh, uh, fine line me. between <laughs> sensual and, and threatening. If, uh, don't like it. Don't I would like ask that. you both. I have scripts pre- prepared for you. Uh-huh. I would ask you to not read ahead more right. than a couple sentences at a time. Right. You okay. feel free to prepare your lines, but try not to read the 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 big reveal of the end or anything ahead of time. I'd like my actors to be surprised along with the, the audience. Uh, if you scroll to the bottom of our notes page, there's a little script. Uh, I will be the narrator. Jason, of course, you will be Mary. I, of course, uh, will be Mary. Jason will be Bobby. Corrigan will play Corrigan. Okay, good. <clears throat> Bobby. Bobby. Oh, B-A-U-B. This, 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 uh, this story, a little two-pager, isn't supposed to be me criticizing or making fun or that as much as it is framing my 
perspective of the game. And we can talk about it afterwards, but, the, but yeah, here we go. This is the bennest thing I've ever seen in my life, by the way. Can you give us any uh, direction in terms of characters? Yes. Corgan, you play yourself. Be yourself. And then Bobby, you play, uh, I think it's it, it kind of describes who you are. Again, don't read too far ahead. Okay. Uh, feel free to read your first couple lines if you want to. Uh, your first description there at the top. Uh, and basically, you are Corrigan's neighbor. Cool. cool, cool. That's all you get. <clears throat> Interior or exterior. Doesn't really matter. Old farmhouse, perhaps? Sure. Night. Corrigan sits in an old armchair in her living room playing a board game simultaneously about nothing and everything. While the whole world both stops and speeds forward, which both frightens and calms her. Next to her is a large puppy. One of those puppies with the goopies in their eyes that can tell you the history of the entire universe with one quick slobber. The VCR blinks 11s while the TV plays an old-timey police procedural. You know the one with the guy from the old Victrola ads that catered to your grandma's cousin from the old hardware store that one summer before Muncie passed. The radio quietly blasts the song from middle school that we all know and love but somehow forgot because we all hated it. Door slams open! Bobby walks through the doorway. The deaf, by the way, Bobby is spelled B-A-U-B-I, just That's like important. all Bobbies are. That's important. Bobby walks through the doorway. The deafening sound of soft, pouring rain chatters in behind him. Chainsaws instead of hands, per usual. Whoa, who are you? Why, I'm your neighbor from across the way, Bobby. We've been friends for years, don't you remember? When we were kids, how we'd look to the past about our futures, and the winters of old yesteryear were always blowing, like the winds of tomorrow, while the spring hills blossomed on our youths. Gorgon stands up, looks to the camera, puzzled. Yes, of course. Classic, Corrigan. What? I don't know you. Can you know all the truths on a single plane of existence? Uh... Can a single butterfly float through the world in the consciousness of the laugh of a child crying in the meadow? Yes? <laughs> How could you forget our jaunts? Through the graveyards and excursions foraging for old cauliflower seeds in the rusty trunks and dusty attics and alleyways of our loved ones and familiar acquaintances, how we loved our romps through fields of flowers, our classic ragtime hits played overhead wearing our floral cardigans, and thick-winged glasses with or without lenses, dealer's choice and the like. Corrigan grabs a bat from the wall and holds it threateningly. Okay, weirdo. I don't know what you're talking about, and I'm getting pretty lost in those long paragraphs about nothing. Can we stop this, please? Bobby insists upon himself, and slowly, very slowly, just stares at Corgan for what seems like forever. But in reality, is only several hours. It's you, Jason. I'm staring for several hours. <laughs> Feel free to skip that. Oh, wait, you can't skip it? I suppose you're right. Old companion of mine, the expiration date of our coterie has long passed, along with the era that best represents our fashion choices and the verbiage in which we desire to speak. Tartakin's back to the days of old and the futures in which we hope to live through. While the wind softly blows through the grassy pastures of our dreams, lulling us to sleep for one last long, dark Till we are to wake again, and with the last hope of our dying breaths, we will hold on to the light darkness of our forgotten memories and swiftly walk as slowly as possible until a dry rain wakes us from our deep... Yeah, we're done here, weirdo. I don't want to hear any more about your meandering subplots or inanely twee backstories. 
I just wanted to play a game. Corgan and Jason both realize how genius Ben's script is and all the amazing connections it makes and truths it points out about Kentucky Route Zero and life itself. They take a long, hard look at their lives and who they've become and vow to never make him read a book, I mean game, again. <laughs> Finn. Ben, did, did a book hurt you? <laughs> do you do you want to talk about it? Uh, Was it someone you cared about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh. It, was, it was fine. It was fine. I... <laughs> It's just like, remember when, what was the tweetest game we ever played? Night in the um, Woods. The night, night in the Woods. This, this, that was Call of Duty compared to this. <laughs> like, oh my goodness. This game was the most self-important, like, it's in the, yeah, the Peter Griffin, it insists upon itself. Yeah, no, like, I, I caught the Family Guy reference. Constantly. So yeah, I Thank see you. where your references are coming Thank from here. Thank you. Good. Okay. Settle down there. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of pretension. When Ben makes illusions, they're to cartoons, so it's okay. <laughs> hey, I got a degree in English, okay? Someone gave me that. I paid for that. Is that really what your degree is in, English? Uh, right? I know. I'm as shocked as you. <laughs> Mine, mine's in biology. Yeah, right? What? And who's the scientist out of us? Mm. Anyway, mm. me. Corey. So, uh, no, I... That was delightful, by the way. Thank you, Ben. Thank I you. enjoyed that. Yeah, thank, thank you. You, you thank too you. did a great job. That. You oh, did a great you. job, both of you. Clapped. That was awesome. I just feel like I don't use the word weirdo that no. often, but it's fine. Okay, that's fair. That's fa I'll I'll rewrites, rewrites. Writing is rewriting. Here we go. And just some notes for the next draft. Yeah, no, please, please send them over. Uh, okay, so I really, really, really enjoyed most of the game. I loved a lot of parts of it. Sound design, the, it was it's one of the most beautiful games I've ever played. I think I sent you a few uh, gifts that I actually made of it because I I thought some moments were beautiful that I had to immortalize them in, a, in looping images. Uh, <laughs> the true art form of the millennial. Of the animated GIF. It was great. Uh, but yeah, I think the lack of choice bothered me mm. in the first act or two until I kind of realized, oh, this is, this is linear uh, and there's not much I can do. And so I started accepting like, oh, it's, it's less about me changing the story and more about me writing the game as you know, picking my the options of my um, my the lines that I pick as I go along. That's me writing the story. So, um, so I, I started to enjoy that more the more I kind of let go. But Jason, you and I were talking about how this is. I think you would accuse me of like, oh, you don't like you don't like it because it's linear. You asked me if I don't like it because it's linear, and I think some of the my favorite games that we've played have been extremely linear. All of the walking simulators, what's eating Edith Finch's whatever, and Firewatch and all that. And so it's not that it's less, it's not like I didn't have an effect on the whole game. And I think the, my biggest gripe, I guess that that was constantly bothering me about the whole game was that it kept expecting me to buy in to everything in the game, to all of the like paragraph after paragraph after paragraph. Then maybe there were amazing literary illusions and I caught a couple of them, but even though they were there, it wasn't necessarily increasing my buy-in or emotional connection to any one character or story. The whole time I felt like it was just like a, a story happening over there. Like it was a textbook that I was reading or a story that I was assigned and wasn't really, you know, I was doing was like a homework assignment and it wasn't something that I was able to really connect with it. Like you do in, uh, not you, but like I did in firewatch, you connect with the main character, right. Uh, and, and gone home, same kind of thing. You have that emotional connection the first five minutes and like almost anything they do after that, I'm there. I'm sold. Yes. Take me on that journey. Even if it's not great graphics or if it's 
boring gameplay, whatever it is, I'm there, we're connected. And I just feel like I wasn't able to connect with Conway or any of the main characters, even though I loved them switching that point of view and I loved them switching the, the literal perspective of the camera going overhead, going three quarter, going platformer sometimes. I really enjoyed a lot of the things they did. I thought the game was beautiful, even the overall story I didn't dislike, but I don't know. I'm interested to get your, your points of view on the, the connection to the game. I just felt like that was a constant thing. I wasn't able to kind of have that buy-in. Would you say it felt sterile to you in that sense? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Did you have a, did you feel like you were Conway at times? Well, I felt a huge connection to it. I don't, I don't usually feel like I am the character. Like that's not my connection as much, but I, I get, I think media that people often describe as sterile. I get really emotionally connected to like, um, Wes Anderson movies, like, Mm. uh, Royal Tenenbaums. Like I've, I cried during that movie. Like it's beautiful. I am in, I don't know what that is about me, that those are kind of the things that, that connect to me a lot of times. But yeah, I, I was, oh, I love these characters. I love them so, so much. I just felt like they did things for no reason. I can see that. I mean, I think for me, it was hard to, um, I had trouble following who people were unless they, like, if they were the original characters that we met, yeah. like Conway um, and like, not Weaver, but what's her sister, her cousin? Shannon. Name? Yeah. Shannon. Yes. Uh, stuff like that. Like, I kind of felt like okay i have connected to these particular characters and i feel some stake in the choices that they make and then anyone yeah. who was sort of introduced later on i had trouble remembering like wait where do i know them from who are yeah. they like what's going on and that was a bit of a struggle for me in terms of trying to like keep up with like why am i invested in these people yeah and on top of it for me like i think you know the so ben you had us take that quiz thing or no jason, jason you were the one that who put yeah, yeah. the quiz yeah. of like how we play games right and we tweeted that out a couple days ago too yeah right? and so that's on our twitter and it's interesting to look at because the difference in how i was looking at how i'm playing this game before i took that quiz versus after was really interesting because i was kind of aware of like okay so what is it that's irking me in this process of playing And that as someone who I'm like, okay, clearly I like achieving things. I like clear stated goals. I like to be able to like kind of jump around and do this. And the meandering nature of this game where I never totally knew what I was doing, where I was going next, what was the point was tough for me to sort of get behind and then, you know, invest in the characters because I was so like in my head about like, what am I doing that I couldn't get myself to be really thinking about the characters themselves in this game? Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm looking at the graph and maybe let's, uh, let me say really quick. So if people don't have this in front of them, you can see our, like our top twos and it's a, a hexagon of kind of six different areas that, that, and, and if you can uh, Google this and play it yourself as your gamer motivation profile test. Anyway, again, we I tweeted out the link to the test also. But Jason's, your kind of top two were action and immersion. My top two were creativity and achievement. And then Corey's were achievement and action. So I think the, the creativity part for me, which is kind of the highest of anyone on anything, right. is kind of like, yeah, that's kind of why I go to games. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you, there's not much chance to express yourself in that. Yeah, exactly. It's, I don't really get to make the game my own. It is, it, yeah. As much as our gameplays were definitely different. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt like it was sterile in the sense that like it was an objective thing that I was more reading than participating in. Yeah. To me kind of felt like, um, 
like defying the way that I play games because I was thinking of like, what do you call it if like, like if you're playing Mario and you have to go over and you have to like talk to Toad for 90 seconds before you can like do something, you know, like that'll give you something. Tutorial? Well, no, like, I mean, like, but during the game, like he'll, you go over and you talk to him and he's like, hey, your princess is over here and here's a star for you or something like that. You know, not a side quest, so, smaller than a side quest. No, like literally just what do you call it when there's like a dialogue heavy thing that you have to get through and you can't like you just have to sit and watch the dialogue and then you can go do your thing. You know what I mean, prehistoric cutscene. Yeah, I don't know what it, I don't know if it has a name. I don't know what it is. And I okay. don't know. Fair yeah. enough. I know, I know what you're talking you about. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. yeah, yes. On board. So that's the thing that when I play games, I try to get through as fast as physically possible. And I do not read a single thing that's in it. I'm like, is there anything that is going to tell me that like I like I am going to be lost in the game if I don't know it? Right, right, right. No? Okay. Get me through this as fast as possible. I do not read things in games, which is funny because I read all day every day otherwise but i do not want to read something when i play a game so it felt a little bit like talking to toad the entire time i was playing this game where i was just like i know the reading is the point but i want to get through it to get to the point and that was a problem (laughs) for me and I teach and make text-based games. Yeah, right. So, like, you know, perfectly comfortable with oh, yeah. all of it being text. And maybe, you know, I think if I had more choices, uh, like, you know, we were talking last month about how I loved playing Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, the text right. game and stuff like that. And you feel like, like this distinctly you have a choice. You know, you go out and you check the mail and if you don't check the mail, you get hit in the head with a brick and you die. S- start the game over or something like that. Right. But when it just feels like it's all this stuff that I'm like, I'm not really controlling it. I was like finding myself having trouble not like, how do I get through this? Yeah. How do I skip this part. So uh, I want to go back to the graph. And, and I'm, I, I'm trying to connect with what you were just saying, Corey. I'm not like destroying. No, that's fine. Back, to, back somewhere else. <laughs> we both uh, started talking at the same time. So good. I You're feel good. like it's I, th- fine. I think it connects. Um, but the, um, I was highest on immersion Mm -hmm. and I know Ben and I've talked about this before. I think Corey, I may have talked with you about it before, but like, that is the game term that I hate more than any other game term. Interesting. Um, Because I, I do care a lot about immersion, but what most people call immersion has nothing to do with what I call immersion. Mm. And so a lot of times people talk about, you know, oh, the game really broke my immersion because there was this minor glitch. Mm. Right. I wanted to get lost in the game and forget that there's a real world. And this is all like, but then, but then I saw a, a glitch and, and I, I, for, I realized that the world exists and that there's a game. And that's not the immersion that I'm talking about. The immersion I talk about is just when I get really excited and interested in the game. Sure. Like I just want to be in this game. And because of that, I can overlook glitches and don't care about those things because the game has captured my attention so much. And I honestly think that most people are talking about my kind of immersion and pointing to other things when they say, well, there's a glitch that got me out of it. It's like, yeah, but if it's your favorite game, like, yeah, ben, that's fine. A, a glitch in red dead redemption two is not going to ruin the game for you. Right. Right. No. It's like your favorite thing. Yeah. So I, I think what we're really saying is, did I like the game or not? And, yeah. and we could, we can point to a glitch or something. So what I want to say about this game is in like that classical sense of, it, it made me forget that the real world exists and I was just in this world. Right. Like this game does not do that. Sure. And yet in my sense of it, like all I wanted to do was think and talk about this game. Like I was into it. Like, 
oh, what are these systems happening behind here? Oh, that's such an interesting narrative decision they made. Oh, I really like, you know, all of that stuff was lining up for me. And that's just the way I really enjoy engaging with games. And so mm. it's weird for me that it's, I, I think a lot of what you're talking about, about the ways it pushed you out are the ways it also brought me in. Like, hey. I, I don't think it's like a, well, it, it did have this, but it also had that. It's like, no, no, I think it was the same thing that pushed one person out, brought another pus- person in. Yeah, that completely makes sense to me. Yeah, I was wondering if I played this in a year or five years from now, if I would enjoy it more. And it it seems like from what you're saying, I probably wouldn't because it's, I mean, unless I significantly change how I view art. <laughs> I think one thing, Ben, that may, might change how you do it is if you start making more games, because it'll it'll make you think more about, you know, why did they do it this way? And thinking because you will have done like a few of them and and given yourself the interesting problem of, OK, sure, but we've done this stupid, you know, wolf, sheep, grain get across the river puzzle in like 40 different games. What can I do differently? And as you're challenging yourself to do different puzzles, then to go back to and play this game to be like, oh, whoa, they are just somewhere else. They are doing something weird. Okay. Yeah, go for it. Well, I was just going to say on that like thought about like, so I feel like expectation has something to do with this as well. Yeah. And so think about like, you're saying like, okay, how can you do something differently, right? When you're someone who is making a game like this, like we've all played a bajillion of whatever kind of games. So what do you do that makes us something different? And I think this is very different from anything I've played, I think, including text-based games, but like it's a whole other thing altogether. And I think that that can work for and against it in various ways as well. So when I started the game, remember I was like, oh, like for one, this is a beautiful game and the music is beautiful and like sound is beautiful, all of this kind of stuff. Um, But I came into it with this expectation from that first act of like a spooky eeriness. Um, You know, when you're going through that mining tunnel and you have like the like, you know, all of a sudden you notice that if you turn off and on the lights or whatever, oh, you have yes. like the dead miners watching you. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, and like, I literally jumped. Like, I can, I, it scared me so bad when I first thought I was like, ah! <laughs> like, oh, yeah. Ah. And then I like messaged you guys and I was like, is it just me or are there like people in the, in the yeah. tunnel? Right? Like, I was like, am I imagining this or are they there? Because you don't always see them. It just depends on, you know, how you're coming through. And so I think it set up a tone for me and maybe an expectation of where the game was going. But the thing about this game is that no two acts of it are alike. So you have complete, I don't want to say a complete tonal shift, but in terms of like, I don't know, in terms of the way everything looks, the tone of it in terms of like, you know, that was an eerie, spooky level. Then you have one that's kind of like, here's an experimental art level and like all these kinds of things. So your expectation yeah. can't be that it's going to be the same game throughout because it's not. It's not the same game. Yeah. yeah. Just another moment that stood out to me when you said that was on in Act 4. I believe it's when uh, Shannon, right, and Conway are on the boat. Mm-hmm. Is Yeah, I think it's right before he gets... Well, spoilers. We'll do spoilers. All right, spoilers now. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Right before Conway gets taken away. Yeah. Uh, and they're on the boat, on the dinghy, right? And they're going through the bats and all that. And you just see, like, in front of the camera, you see the boat of skeletons. The skeletons, yeah. Like, following yeah. you. <laughs> oh, my. The, as soon as it happened, because you're also going through trees and stuff, definitely jumped, for sure. Yeah. It was yeah. one of those moments where I was, like, turning the light on and off to see if the bats would change <laughs> and all these things. like. And then you just see, like, a giant skeleton in this black. Oh, yeah. So and cool. I had turned out the like flashlight right before that. Cause I was like, is it going to do anything if I turn this off? 
And then I turned it on. I was like, "Ah!" (laughs) oh, there it is. Okay. I think that that was another thing is it like one of the plaques is like careful with your flashlights because it makes the bats crazy or whatever. I don't know if there was a difference and there, there definitely might be. Well, but if the fact that I played the game and if you turned off the light, didn't it stop? Did it stop? Like if I turned off the light, I felt like the, the boat stopped moving. Yes. And so I had to turn it back on eventually anyway. So I don't think it exactly. did make a difference. I felt that way too. Cause I definitely turned it off for like 30 seconds and turned it on. <laughs> it was in the same spot. Yeah. Well, it's, okay. it's similar to the degaussing when you're the uh, skeleton walking around in oh, uh, I love that. awesome act four. like, he just like waves, like he gets hazy and then you press the degausser and then obviously he clarifies, but it doesn't <laughs> have any is, like, mechanical I effect. I honestly on the game. didn't realize that was what was happening until you just said it because being the least visual human being in the history of time. And also if I have to read anything, I don't look at any images. Hence why I don't watch movies with subtitles. Uh, I was like, what's happening when I'm hitting this? I never noticed that anything was happening. I was just like, and then it makes a sound and he goes, and it was really tough to figure out because if you try and do it twice in a row, he's already been degaussed. Yeah. So he so it doesn't work the second time. And I noticed that. Like, I was like, okay, I can't do it twice, but I did not know what was happening when I was doing it the first time at all. So thank you. Now actually, I understand what was going on. It's crazy. It actually was faster for Corey to learn Korean yeah. to watch Parasite than it was for her to That's a good <laughs> watch it, pause it every shot, yeah. read it, and That's watch true. it at the same time. But yeah. This is such a good uh, <laughs> companion piece to Parasite. Um, well, that's oh true. Gosh. Absolutely. Like, it really, really is. Well, the whole both, are, both are about capitalism. Yeah. In like fundamental ways. So uh, the creepy part of the skeletons, the boat, right? The creepy part is not the skeletons. The creepy part is them waving. Uh, they, oh, I didn't get them waving. Oh, yeah. They just oh wave as the boats pass Jeez. Um, the first time before they come back. Um, you said there's all these tonal shifts and not necessarily this through line. I think there's a, a tremendous through line with the capitalism yeah. and particularly with the horror of the mines. Which is, oh yeah. I think you first go into it thinking of the horror of the mines as the uh, the ghosts of the miners, uh, and they are not the horror. They are not the monster. Right. The monster is the capitalism that killed them. the company. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Which is the entire. It lurks behind the entire game. I don't think you ever interact with any representative of the company. The no. closest is the, the skeletons. Yeah. yeah, that's the closest so, yeah, you get. Right, right, right. Uh, we're right, just right, a stand-in right. for it. Uh, but they're not the company. There was a power company that ran that town. Right. There was a mining company. It's gone now. Uh, these are the things that exist in this kind of post-capitalist world. Yeah, you've got these, like, they're basically debtors who are working in the shadow of, again, a company that we don't know that actually runs at all. And then you've got the lady who's working for a phone company that, you know, has not been there in ages and just sort of people shuffling through their capitalist nightmare in this entire thing. And you've also got the movement of anti-capitalism. So, like, uh, the museum pieces. Right. Um, which is like the people in the museum. Yeah. The, the people in the museum and looking at all the museum pieces, uh, the community television show, the community play, uh, people living in the forest, people living in the forest. All of these different things are anti-capitalist people trying to get out, people trying to, to solve things from within, um, not really resistance to capitalism, but kind of alternatives within it. And I think it's a, one of the big messages is of slowing down, mm-hmm. uh, the capitalism. Remember the, the skeleton, always has to be hurrying off to the next thing, right? He's taking time out of his busy day to take care of you, but he owes a debt (laughs) and he has to pay his debt and you are preventing him from that. You are doing harm to him because he has to pay his debt. Yeah. (laughs) But all of the anti-capitalist messages are the ones that take forever. 
kind of mm-hmm. these slow meandering uh, community plays and things like that. Yeah. Um, oh gosh, the entertainment. Speaking of which, God, I love that so much. I love that too. That the was so good. So good. Uh, what it was. was uh, I probably would have loved it more if I didn't accidentally restart it after yes, watching no, half of it no. and then go have to do it over again. And no. then I was like, Ugh! well, no. and, and the fact that it wasn't originally called the entertainment, it was called the reckoning. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. That was in one of the director's notes. It was that the, the, uh, this version of the play had, uh, redone so much that they decided to retitle it, the entertainment instead of the reckoning. Um, hmm. and the reckoning is of course the, uh, distillery guy that shows up at the end, right. which for me was the most terrifying moment of the entire thing. Uh, you turn around as you're trying to figure out what's going on, and all of a sudden there's just this oh, right. glowing in the darkness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I didn't um, make that connection of who that's what that was because I, I played that right after Act One, and so that was my first awareness of I didn't even know what like a skeleton was. I was like, oh, yeah. there's just a skeleton. Yeah, like, I didn't know what mean? he was in relation to the Whiskey Boys or the Whiskey Brothers or whatever that was. Yeah. The the entire game has like through lines and plots and yeah. a lot of stuff that's going on, uh, and the interludes connect in these ways that at first I really didn't think that they would. I thought they were just yeah. other stories. Yeah, yeah same. They do a really good job of tying in for sure. Um, but oh my gosh, that entire story of debt of a company right. destroying this town. The distillery exists in a post destroyed town. Like that's what its uh, function is, right. is to take these people whose lives have been destroyed, suck every last bit of life out of them and turn it into like, it's like a recycling plant for people is what right. the story is. Yeah, exactly. So is, what is the zero on this, in this metaphor? It's it's a road to Bernie, AOC. What, what is this? <laughs> it's a good like, question. It, what what? Yeah, is it not capitalism? It is a road from capitalism to death. It, yeah, I mean, it's it's an alternative. Um, so uh, Pinchon talks about these things a lot. He he'd be an author. I would see kind of the zero in of these these alternatives to capitalism. Often uh, underground communities, sometimes literally the friendships you make along the way. But there's still like bureaucracy and disenchantment and disenfranchisement and like, I mean, there's still, it's not like this is pure like bliss and utopia. Right. right. And the bureaucracy, I don't think the bureaucracy is bad uh, in this game. People don't seem to mind it. Right. Like at first it's annoying. It. Did you annoying, say the bears it, love it? The, the bears, bears love it. it. Oh, gosh, <laughs> they're having a great time. Bears. Uh, it's but my the, favorite the, thing in the whole game. Just a floor of bears. <laughs> Delightful. Um, That's great. That's it's great. bureaucracy is, I mean, it's the works program administration. Works Progress Administration, right? It's uh, the the make work so that people have yeah. a thing to do. Um, that's not something we have in our country. Uh, yeah. That's something we used to have. That's something yeah. that, that could exist. And in places like the, there's a, a great thing you can find out if you call into the um, the uh, interlude three, I think. Uh, yeah. yeah, the phone. The phone thing, which you can actually call. It's a real phone number you can call and go through. I was wondering that. It's really cool. fun. Like on my own phone, I can call on your, that? On your own phone. Um, I didn't even I went, think of that. I went through it. It was phenomenal. Because <laughs> I, so the way I found that was uh, later on after the interlude, you get, oh, you can call into the station. And I called into that station. And while they're doing that, they give the number for uh, the uh, here and there along the echo or whatever it was. Listen, yeah. I love uh, that because that is the most like, I love that you did that God, because that feels very retro to me. Like yes, you remember yes. when we watched things, if something had a number that was not a five, 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 when we were it. like pre internet days, yep. yeah. we called it. We were like, yeah. is that a number? And I love that. That was a thing you did that you saw the number on there and was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to get offline. Yeah. I'm going to go actually physically call this phone number. I left a message. And then later in the game, after that, there's a the moment where the caller calls in. And for a brief second, I was like, 
Is, is it going to be, be my me? voice? <laughs> I don't oh, know how that would work. Right? <laughs> but is it going to happen? Because oh. you've got me in such a weird place right now, game. Well, there's that version of immersion that <laughs> yeah, maybe exactly. is not your version. That's but... my version of immersion of like, I don't know yes. where I am right now. Nothing yeah. is real. <laughs> uh, you are actually in the game. <laughs> So that phone tree, if you go through it, he says, uh, so it's the Bureau of Secret Tourism. Is yeah. That phone tree. yeah. And he said, uh, it's made possible by uh, a generous grant from the um, Bureau of Reclaimed Lands. Yeah. Uh, and it's like given, whether they know uh, it or not or something. Like that. that was it. It's, it's, it's given with great generosity and without their knowledge. Yeah. <laughs> he's just using one of their phones to build this phone tree. Yeah. I love that. That was it's great. It's so good. And so it's like, there's actually is power within these bureaucracies. There's these places and the, the sending of people around is so that the people don't have to work. And so they can enjoy themselves and talk to other people. Right. right? Like it's okay that it's not working quickly. The general message of the game, I think is kind of slow down, which is a thing that I'm getting more and more behind generally. Maybe that's just like becoming an older person, but slow down has kind of been my, my life thing lately. So I am, I'm behind that. I'm for that. Yeah. And honestly, I feel like with this entire game that I don't know that I can say I necessarily enjoyed it, at least all the way through, you know, like it was definitely a struggle. Like I said, I don't read things. I think of that as the thing that you skip through. So it's a discipline in me that is not natural when I'm trying to play a game. I fell asleep a lot. So there was a lot of like me just being extremely confused because I was like, after a while, I'm like, all I've been doing is hitting a for 15 minutes and I just drift off and I sleep. So, you know, there was all of that to this, but I think overall I can manage to like the game based on message or like having those kinds of things come through that I think are extremely important and that more and more I find really powerful in stuff like watching Parasite. And, you know, someone had posted something recently where they were talking about uh, one of the great things about Parasite is that it's not that the family is bad at any of the jobs that they're hired to do. Right. Or right. so they come in there and they are really good at it. And the family comes to rely on them because they're actually excellent at their jobs, but they, they do not have the, uh, the piece of paper, the qualifications that, you know, our society says you have to go to this university and get this certification in order to be a valid member of this class that does this form of work, you know, and that thinking about that in terms of also this sort of the anti-capitalist messages in this really, I think is something that I'm like, I really appreciate thinking about and that it made me think about these things as I played it, you know, what all the stuff that started with us saying, damn the man watching empire, the records. Now it's like, this is like, (laughs) this is the man. And, yeah. you know, it's some looming figure that may or may not even be there, but the, the mechanisms of capitalism drone on regardless. Yeah. You know, so back to Ben's question about uh, what is the zero? Is it AOC? Is it Bernie? Is it this? Right. And I, I think it's very much not, uh, you know, nothing against those people. Right. But it's resistance and, and activism, political power happen in much smaller ways. Mm-hmm. You know, those are the rare times when something like a real uh, socialist, you know, anti-capitalist movement rises above. Uh, but the real work happens um, losing someone's bill at the dentist's office. You know, the, right. the little ways that you can step around that yeah. and help someone out. The connections that you can make with other people. Um, yeah. the, I think the television station is the anti-capitalist spot um, for them. It's just a community. 
where people get together and talk. Yeah, absolutely. The van is Antifa, right? Absolutely. <laughs> the antiques. <laughs> yes. No, I don't know. Sorry. No, I, I teach in my women in U.S. society uh, class a, a couple se- sessions on um, black resistance to slavery. Right? Is when we talk about abolition, you're often talking about a lot of the like white heroes of this right. movement who did these like big major things, even if they you know got caught like John Brown or something like that. Right. But you know people who are able to do these massive movements, and you know I was explaining to my students and trying to sort of get them to understand that it is like often smaller little bits of resistance that are the things that actually you know make these differences that have a ripple effect. So, you know, things like um, like simply the act of escape, right? If someone actually runs away, that actually like grinds the gears of the entire mechanism of slavery just by doing that, you know, like something like that or uh, something as simple as like people would sneak out every night and they would go and they would like have parties with people on other plantations or things like that, like any way in which you resist that overarching structure, the the cakewalk, the cakewalk. Exactly. You know, like that is a way of resisting the overarching structure of sort of mocking the white dominant class and creating something of their own, creating when they could have been in a situation in which you have all these people from different parts of Africa coming together, not speaking the same languages, all this kind of stuff. And instead of being thus a bunch of people who never communicated with each other, creating this vibrant culture on a plantation, all of these kinds of things are acts of resistance and like conscious ones, you know, and that's, I feel like that speaks to what you're saying about the fact that often when we think about what it means to resist, it isn't necessarily a revolution uh, but these little ways in which we opt out, but aggressively opt out, I guess, you know, yeah. with a intention to uh, be going against the system. There's a man I wrote about um, whose name is escaping, but I wrote about him in, in my book that I'm doing right now. Um, and uh, he was a former enslaved person in uh, the early 19th century. I think like 1820s, maybe uh, he lived in Boston. And um, he uh, worked in a, he opened his own clothing shop. So one of the amazing things about him is the entire apparatus of slavery worked around the textile industry. And he was one of the few people that had ever actually lived and moved in all the different strands of the textile industry. He knew it from cotton to pants, right? And everything in between and all the exploitative moments in between. And one of the things he did, David Walker. Thank you. You knew exactly what I was talking about. Yeah, I knew it. I just knew it. Yeah. Good job. I certainly did not Google it. <laughs> um, yes, David Walker. <laughs> oh, oh, you mean David Walker? Uh, and so he would take abolitionist pamphlets and he would sew them into mm. the clothing and he'd put mm-hmm. them in the pockets that he would then sell to sailors who were going down to South Carolina to buy and sell human beings and just to put to put thoughts into their clothing right. uh, that they would then have to, to reconcile and, and have to deal with uh, and spread the movement that way. It's such a, a, an amazing kind of active resistance. Right. Like, oh, wow. I just, that kind of stuff is, is kind of incredible to think about. And even you saying like this guy's in Boston, you know, a lot of the, the issues that really led to ultimately having to have the civil war had to do with slaves fleeing North and then because of the Fugitive Slave Act, people being like, hey, if this slave ends up in Massachusetts, I, I, I live in a free state. 
I should not have to return this or I'm participating in slavery. And you end up with this complication just based on one person going to a state that was free. And it, you know, again, grinding like all the gears of all of this. So just these little things like this, sewing a pamphlet, just leaving your plantation, doing the cakewalk, all of this is these like really important means of resistance uh, that are not, you know, actually going out and actively fighting a war or overthrowing the entire government or whatever. There's something else to this that I think you're right in saying that's what's kind of reflected in this game is it's not always about revolution, but of finding some other path. Yeah, I'm I'm reading a bunch. Of, we we will talk about games again. We can cut all this, I swear. But uh, Corey, I'm reading a bunch <laughs> of stuff on um, Black Twitter and uh, just kind of Black resistance through social media because mm. uh, it's actually uh, one of the pieces starts with a browser called Blackbird. Mm. It was like uh, supposed to be a challenger to Mozilla, but centered on uh, a Black audience mm. and kind of it promised to show you uh, the Black internet, right? Interesting. And it failed somewhat because, uh, you know, it wasn't as technically proficient as some of the larger browsers, uh, but really people distrusted it. Hmm. The users were like, I don't want the black internet. I want the internet. Right. And the, the take of the authors looking at this is like, which undercuts the idea that when they say that they say, they're saying, I want the white internet. Right. But they don't ever think of it as that. Yeah. And then he looks on black Twitter and sees that. Yeah. And he sees black Twitter as kind of the the anti that the right. the promise that was in Blackbird of like being fulfilled in Black Twitter oh, of this place where yeah. people actually can collect and can commune and exist and and it still exists as a space. Yeah, and it's kind of it's very much as opposed to white Twitter, not as opposed to Twitter, as opposed to white Twitter. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. That's really interesting. All right, sorry Ben, we rambled. No, you're good. No, I was. Yeah, we're. I. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I thought of something to say, I was like, no, we have to get back to the thing. But you guys didn't have that voice. We don't. So. <laughs> that no, voice doesn't exist for it me. It does not. That's fine. Silence. Anything else on gameplay? Like beautiful moments, frustrating things, awesome one-liners. Let's talk about the cursor, Ben. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We, wait. So, uh, Ben, you played it on Switch. Mm-hmm. And then, Jason, you played it on PC? On Mac. On yeah. Mac. Which, so, for the last act, I got stuck partway on it and what, could not... What, What'd you play it on? Uh, Switch. It. And I was like, I don't know what else to do here in order to move this story along. And I'd been like sitting for like an hour, like I can't get anywhere. And I was like, I feel like I've run everywhere. And then I watched. So I watched the last act on YouTube. Uh, and I noticed that person was playing on something with a clicker. So they were on a PC or a Mac or something. And they could skip through dialogue to like get through it faster. Uh mm-hmm. You just press the B button and switch to skip. It to, did to, not to do that. I hit every button on the pad and never did it work <laughs> over so and over and over again. It, it speeds up the dialogue. You still can't skip through. You still have to. Well, yeah, obviously, but, but it yeah, did yeah. not do that at all. I'm like, maybe my B button stuck. I don't know, but I did it over and over and over again because I was like just standing there watching. I'm like, this cannot be the pace of the dialogue here. Yeah, we have rough. to sit here and watch it. And I was just hitting everything and nothing would make it go faster. Oh, so, so I guess maybe that was a glitch so, on. So mine. one of the settings on mine, you could actually increase dialogue speed. Ah, oh. there you go. <clears throat> I didn't see that for yep. switch, but I didn't even. That's look. nice as well. Um, Anyways, okay. So apparently that was just on me. Anyway, that was my own thing. But I was like, I can't get through it. So I think that was part of why I couldn't get gotcha. to the end of it. So the cursor in the game changes uh, depending on who you're controlling. 
And for the first few people, it's uh, uh, you throw a horseshoe, right? So Jason said you throw a horseshoe. Does that make any sense to you, Corey? You throw a horseshoe? Thank you. None. Okay. Makes no sense to someone who so played it on let, Switch. Let me, let me go back. Uh, okay. In Act 5, you're a dragonfly. Yeah, you're a dragon. Well, you said you're a cat. Yeah, yeah. I thought I was a cat. I but thought you, I was a dragonfly. But you control a dragonfly that the cat then follows, right? Yeah, or a firefly. Yeah, yeah. Right. That makes sense because I was looking at it like, I was like, thought I was following the dragonfly or whatever it is. And so I was like trying to follow it. And then I was like, wait, I'm doing the thing that it's I'm I'm following me. But that didn't cause me to rethink who I was in this situation. I still thought I was the cat. Well, I I don't think it matters if you're the cat or the dragonfly, but you control the dragonfly and the cat follows. And 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 also you make the cat meow. So that's great. I guess you're both. So there's the same mechanism in all the previous acts, except instead of a glowing dragonfly, it's a glowing horseshoe that it looks like was thrown by the person. So uh, this is on PC and Mac. Not a thing. When you click, so if you're on the left side of the screen and you click to the right side of the screen, all of a sudden a stake appears in the ground and a horseshoe oh. wraps around it as if it was thrown by the person. And the person then walks over there. It's just a way of showing you. Why? It's just a way of showing you like where, uh, imagine if you're on Monkey Island and you click somewhere and it does a, like a circle thing to show you where you clicked. Yeah. That's, that's the only effect it's doing. Okay. Uh, but it starts to have kind of a personality. And uh, so weird things happen. I, I remember once I threw it from the top of the um, uh, that restaurant in the cave, the three story yeah. restaurant in the cave. And it, it like fell into the ground sideways. Like it, it flew at an angle. And I was huh. like, oh, that's kind of cool. Like there were just little things. It felt it felt like idle. It felt like I'm not in a rush to go anywhere. I'm throwing a, yeah, yeah, a yeah. horseshoe to get where I'm going. Like it was just kind of a, a character thing. And it, it worked differently in the last one. It was still the click thing. But now it was a more persistent uh, as you moved your cursor around. Actually, no. With me, I think it was just a finger. And then you'd, you'd hit it. And then it was the dragonfly. Huh. But it sounds like you guys just moved the dragonfly around the entire time. Yeah. 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 yeah there's no other mechanism. Just the just the dragonfly slash cat themselves. So, yeah. So I also think the different one of the big differences between uh, being on a computer and being on a switch uh, would just be going through dialogue and that sense of connection of going a, 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 which was not what I was doing. I was moving the cursor over and clicking to like the next arrow and then like moving it over here. So I didn't accidentally choose an option and move right. it back, which meant that I was in kind of this constant connection with my hand being connected to the computer and, and never just laying back on my couch. And I think what kept me from laying back on my couch is part of the immersion. Like that's a really small thing, but sometimes it's as simple as that. Keeping my hand on the trackpad means that I'm, I'm still playing the game. That absolutely makes sense. I, I wonder how much that would have changed the experience of doing it as opposed to just yeah. that very idle. I felt like I didn't even really need to be there kind of selection that I was doing. Yeah, totally. I'd love yeah. to compare switch reviews versus PC and Mac. Yeah. See if that has an effect. I'd love to see a Crash Bandicoot style platformer playing as Ezra and Julian. Yes. Yes, please. Running and jumping and bouncing Any and day. flying through jungles and forests. Oh, so man. in your games, in your games, was Ezra still, was he part of the family? Like, did we choose him as part of the family when you're asked? Yeah. Like, I want to know, is that, how did it end? Was he part of Junebug and Johnny's family? In mine, yes. Yeah, in mine too. I don't remember. So okay, he's like asked, like, he is he one of the band? Is he part of the family? There's one other thing I can't remember what it is. But the person I was watching on YouTube, they chose it as like like uh, the guy in the band. I can't remember what his name is. But Johnny, Johnny, Johnny. Yeah, and he asked him like, "What do you think, Bud? We need a drummer." 
And then that person yeah. chose, nah, I'm doing my own thing or something like that. Uh, and I was like, whoa. So Ezra isn't always like you. I think that's what I did. Oh, wow. Yeah. Like I was, I was working hard from act three or four, four probably is whenever, whenever they go to the restaurant. Yeah. Um, Sam and Ida's. Yeah. yeah nice work. That, yeah, um, probably. somewhere around there, maybe when they go to the, the gas station is where they, they first start thinking about it. Yeah. Right? And you, you hear Johnny, like, what are we going to do? It's awful lonely yeah. with just the two of us. Yeah. And I'm like, let's continue that train of thought. Cause I see where this is going. Yeah. <laughs> and Ezra is part of your family now. Yeah. And I've determined it. And you will not separate them. <laughs> so when that option came up, you were like, fine. Oh my gosh. I, you know, like holding the cursor carefully because there's no undo. Yeah, right. right. It is what it there's is. There's no back. I, I like, accidentally picked many things I didn't mean to. So, yeah, I was like, read this carefully. Get it. Get it right. Get it right. <laughs> there was, and there was, there's still some stuff in Act Five that someone was like, are you going to stay here with these dead horses? Or are you going <laughs> to come with us? Yeah. And I got to pick like, I'm going to stay here and see what can come of it, Sam. I was like, I don't even know who I'm talking as right now or right. who I'm talking to. Yeah, is it I met the them cat? a half an hour ago <laughs> and I'm, I don't even know the name of this place. Is this the zero? Is this three Dogwood drive? Is this yeah. like, I, it's just a lot happened very slowly. And I was just like, I guess I'll stay here. I don't know. Also are Johnny and Junebug Are they robots? Oh, Johnny and Junebug, right? They yeah. make sounds like it. Uh, are they robots? I, I feel like they're not humans. I felt like the, reviews that like both of you sent referred to them as like androids or things like that, you know? And like, as if that were uh, like granted, like, you know, obviously these two Android characters, I'm like, Oh, were they like, I know they made weird robot sounds. The walking sounds was the only giveaway for that. I thought, yeah, they they talk about being formed in the mines though, like coming up from the earth. That's true. There's, it's also around the time that they're talking about the other things they find in the mine that are not, the uh the strangers the um the people from the distillery right right there there's some kind of uh i think of them as the grooves from zork uh but there's something living under there right yeah and my understanding of them was that they were those things that just decided to be more fun to be human hmm. and like they that their understanding of being that thing was not of even being but like right. just a life that one day they were like well what if i didn't do this right and like that was their first thought that they remember consciously of having as a right. thought. And suddenly they just started to become more and more human, which is why it makes sense that their clothes change in every scene. Is yeah. Like, what, whatever they are, they are just constantly experimenting, yeah. trying to find out what is life. Writing good music. Yeah. Or covering a good music, I guess, because it was a song that they heard before. Yeah, that's true. Which, by which the way. makes sense also if that's the case. But yeah. Sorry should we that. tease this? Do we want to? That means if we say it, we actually have to release it. Oh, yeah. No, we can do that. I mean, also, you can edit it. But yeah, let's say we'll do That's it. That's true. Yeah, I'll just edit this out. This never happened if we don't release this. But hopefully in the next week or so, Corey and I will be releasing uh, a cover of their cover, Too Late to Love You, uh, which is the song that Junebug and Johnny sing in that bar, kind of when you first meet them. As soon as I heard it, I was like, ah, yeah, it's like it's so yeah. pretty and haunting and weird. And the vocals do a lot. They carry that song. So it's all you, Cor. Which lyrics? Because isn't that and one of the ones you can change the lyrics? Yeah, to? you can change it is the, the one. Yeah. To it. Nice. Yeah. I'll let Corey pick that. The one, I mean, nice. I don't have to make that choice. <laughs> yeah. It's great. I was like, I, yeah, I chose, I think I screenshotted the entire way through of like what I chose in the lyrics of that. Awesome. Uh, so yeah, I'm going to go back and try to recreate the choices that I made for the lyrics of Too Late to Love You Now. Oh, that's so cool. No, that's awesome. Because they have a soundtrack version yeah. that you can just use. But yeah, I'm glad it's the Corrigan version of. 
too late to love you. So Millville's back, y'all. Millville's back. <laughs> doing covers, doing covers. Although we have an original we're working on too. Finally. It's true. Yeah, I'm working on it. Working yeah, on it. slowly. Yeah, bit by bit. But that's because that's how we're living our lives now. Yeah, slowly. Lower. Slowly. No yeah. rush, guys. Yeah, we're cool. We're chill. Whatever. We're chill. It'll come out whenever it comes out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What's the drink? And what is the song? This game's pretty fun. With frustration, when I was all done, I just had to question. What's the drink? What's the song? I can't always tell. I just want to know. What game is Westy 12? All right, great interlude, old Ben. Here we go. Corey, would you like to lead us off? What's the drink? The drink for me this week uh, or this month is Lafroig. Oh! Yes. Now, think about Lefroig. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't love it. Okay. But I like what it's about. Yeah. And like when I smell it, when I see it, I want it. I'll taste it. Uh, and then it's also this like earthy, dirty tasting thing, right? Like it's just this real like down to the dirt kind of taste uh, that tastes like fire and earth. Uh, and so I don't necessarily like it but it appeals to me. Mm. And that's how I feel about this game. I don't know that I can say I like it, but it appeals to me nonetheless. Lafroig <laughs> definitely insists upon itself. It definitely oh, insists upon <laughs> itself. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Jay, what do you got? First, I'm offended that you didn't go with a bourbon. Um, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I like Fair. bourbon. Uh, Fair. As I did. Uh, with Angel oh, that's Share. Why, that's why she didn't go bourbon. <laughs> Everyone else is wrong, and I'm right. Angel it's Share. It's an elf story. Wow. Uh, Angel Share. It's a, it's a, a good bourbon. Uh, it's a nice one, uh, but really it was just this idea that they were alluding to of the Angel Share, um, the bourbon that gets lost uh, in the distillery, the Hard Times distillery, uh, the bourbon that that disappears. Uh, this is, in in olden days, they would talk about it as the Angel Share. You you. Make some bourbon and some of it disappears in the years that you age it. And I just say that's the stuff that goes to the angels. Um, and it, yeah, I, I just like that that image and that idea. But also it's a very good bourbon, so try it. Nice. And I'm, going, I'm taking us back across the pond. Uh, back to Scotland, actually, and going with The End of History Oof. by Brewdog, which is one of the strongest commercially available beers, over 40 proof. Uh, that is out of a stoat, actually. It's actually sold out of a stoat. inside the pelt of road-killed squirrels or, stout, or stoats or what, some stoats. sort of like stoats, whatever they are. Weasels, stoats. Uh, that you can also use as decanters, but they're about $800 a bottle. I'm confused. Is this real or are you making this up? You, this is real. Corey, is a, you need to look up an image of this right now. Yeah. It is a bottle of beer with the, the neck of the bottle poking out of the mouth of a dead animal. It's horrifying. What is it called? The End of History by Brewdog. Uh, and it's, it's the reason I picked it is because it's, yes, it's technically beer. This was technically a game. Oh, Christ. Just kind of barely. And a lot of people love it. And who am I to judge? So it's, it's not because it took its title for the, the Francis Fukuyama book about neoliberalism and the ascent of capitalism? F*** you. Honestly, though, I I thought that he was referencing. This. I was like, oh, that's like, wow, that's really on the yeah. nose for I'm pretty for- smart. <laughs> uh, and uh, my song, Jason. I love that Ben referenced a beer that was so thematically appropriate. 
Yeah. Even the beer's too smart for Ben. <laughs> but this is a horror show. I can't believe this is That's like true. this is truly heinous. Yeah. Speaking of horror shows, my song is anything ever written by Vampire Weekend. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I don't get it. Uh, speaking of insisting upon itself, that yeah, it I think that would just be a picture of the Vampire Weekend band uh, in the dictionary. If you looked up that phrase of the dictionary of phrases. Uh, anyway, you get a picture of Ben Stiller with a sign that says we demand to be taken seriously. <laughs> <laughs> just because a band has all the ingredients of greatness doesn't mean that it's great. I think good musicians, well-constructed songs, good lyrics with literary allusions, catchy hooks, and songs about obscure grammatical tendencies. I love all of those things. Doesn't necessarily mean that it's objectively good or more accurate to Kentucky route zero. Doesn't necessarily mean it's something I'll connect to uh, and something that I'll appreciate, but something that Jason loves. Do you not like vampire weekend? I hate them. Hey Jason, you know that, uh, you know that game you like, (laughs) I'm going to insult it by insulting that band you like. Yeah. I did not (laughs) insult them. I I gave them many compliments and said, I don't connect with it. (laughs) I mean, your wife's not a looker, but I can see where your girls get it from. (laughs) Two birds with one stone on that one. (laughs) All right, Jay, what do you got? Uh, I chose a I chose a child song uh, by They Might Be Giants called The Edison Museum. Uh, It just seemed thematically appropriate. The Edison Museum, not open to the public. I I honestly don't know that song, but I do love The Edison Museum. The Edison Museum. Not open to the public It's haunted towers rise Into the clouds above it It's very good It's off of the album called No And it's amazing If a song can be made of steampunk It is that song Yep, well done, that's true That might be that band <laughs> oh, It's so good Was there any, any more explanation to why that no, connection? No, it, it, just felt, it just felt right okay. It was just like, you know, old timey Yeah, uh, It's kind of creepy but it's like creepy for kids. Like it's not real creepy, you know. It's just like yeah, there's some kind of creepy about that. Yeah, spooky. Um, spooky. That's my favorite word for like creepy. That's like kind of good natured. Spooky. I like ooky, but I'll accept spooky. Yeah, I'll take it either way. Potato, potato. It's the worst <laughs> podcast ever. Judges. <laughs> These are the two that like big words. <laughs> I read books. Spooky ooky. I also like ooky and spooky. We are so endearing. I don't know what you're talking about. Everyone <laughs> loves us. Um, what's the uh, what's the song thing for you? My song uh, is Go to Sleep, Little Baby, uh, which is wow. an old. That's really good. Old folk song, um, oh, yeah. but is made famous most recently by Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Go to sleep, you little baby. Go to sleep, you little baby. Your mama's gone away and your daddy's gonna stay. Didn't leave nobody but the baby. And I love the song. It's like a really beautiful song. And I feel like it really fits the tone of like the music that is in the entire game, for one. And then there is like, I was reading about like lyrically what people think this song is about because it's pretty simple song there's only like a few lines in it overall and most of it is just go to sleep little baby but amongst the interpretations of this is that this is like a slave song and that it's sort of talking about you know a a baby or a child being left on their own after uh you know the 
the dad has died and the master sort of in control of all of this stuff and, you know, the mechanisms of slavery leaving this child in this really precarious position. And I feel like, you know, I can think about that as like Ezra or really anyone in the entire story that's going on in this. So that was like immediately what came into my head when I finished this game. My brain was just like, go to sleep, you little baby. And so, yeah, that's my song. That's good. By the way, I, I just got to point out that you said most recently in reference to a song coming out 20 years yeah, ago. Yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. yeah. But we are old. I know. <laughs> we weren't even like children when it came out. No, I was in college. <laughs> we were we were like full people. Full people. All right. Hey, uh, let's talk about what else we are playing. What? Yes. Ben Gwent, went to Gwent, another planet. Gwent. I have nothing Gwent. else to say other than. What is it? Uh, Gwent? What is this? Gwent. Gwent's great. Gwent. It's like a card game. Can we what spell I, it? Yeah. G W E N T. G W N T. For yeah. fuck's sake. <laughs> uh, right, hey, hey, Ben, let me take a quick crack at it. It's a uh, card game that you play in The Witcher. And last month I told Ben that they have it on iPhone. And so now he's playing it on I iPhone. I play it outside of The Witcher now. I wonder if my husband knows about this. Oh, Gwent. It's so good. It's amazing. And there's thousands of people playing at any given moment. You play against live people and you can get ranked and it's just, it's fantastic. And I'm leveling up and it's just, it's a grind. It's a grind. Yeah. You know, Uh, something that I have looked into in the past week or so is kids games, toddler specific games on switch. Oh yeah. We just got a TV for the first time in our living room. And yeah, rather than just having the switch on the little switch, it's nice to have it thrown up there and the kids, we have two controllers because that's what switch does. And, um, they're tiny hand sized. They are. And so I was like, here, let's play some games and stuff like breath of the wild is a little too advanced for them at this point. Um, uh, Mario is kind of more their level of, as far as like two buttons and a joystick. So trying to find more games that aren't 40 to $60 each to kind of try out. Um, but yeah, going through Kirby, what's the allies one that I sent you earlier, Jason, that star allies. Kirby Star Allies. Basically, it's like it's a Mario platformer, but with Kirby, and it takes a really, really long time to die. And it looks beautiful. So the kids like being Kirby and like sucking up the enemies and shooting out stars and stuff. So loving that. And let me know. Feel free to tweet me, email, whatever your suggestions of toddler specific or really any age, but kind of like kid abilities, toddler abilities. Uh, Switch games would be great. That's fun. Corey, what about you? What have you been playing? I don't, I was trying to think. I'm like, aside from obviously every month I'm playing Harry Potter. Uh, and playing this, I've just, I've been reading a lot this month, so I have not played any games. It's just been like a, I was, okay, to be fair, it was a Jeopardy month. Yes. Oh, congrats. So the game I was yes. playing was Jeopardy, and oh. I was studying for my Jeopardy audition oh, all month. So that's all what I've you've been playing. That's a game? Yeah. So How I've been playing go? Jeopardy. It went great. It was so much fun, and like, it did pretty well. And I did really well in the like mock game that we played. So, you know, hopefully when do you find out it's any time in the next 18 months. So, okay. yeah, there's no you don't really know one way or another until they call you up or they don't. And there's a little bit of luck behind that, too. So but hopefully I feel like it went really well. I know that the tests went well and the mock game went well and it was really fun. And now I have my little Jeopardy buzzer pen, which is really nice. And uh, nice. yeah, it was it was cool. It was like a, a dream come true kind of situation, totally. no matter what. Like, just like, holy cow, I just auditioned for Jeopardy. That's pretty rad. So when I was in college, uh, one of the professors auditioned for Jeopardy and they didn't let him on because he got everything right. 
<laughs> and so it wasn't until years later that I realized that that's not what happened. <laughs> and uh, it's really funny that that's a story that he decided to tell. Too smart. Uh, young adults. Yeah. Um, oh, cool, it's just too cool smart for, for this Jeopardy. Cool. Well, now that you see like people like James Holtzauer and stuff like that, you're like, no, they like people who know yeah. everything. Enjoy. And it isn't Enjoy. fun to watch, but they'll allow it if you're not like, if they like your personality or whatever. How much of it is about the clicking? And I know, I mean. A lot. It seems like a lot of it is. That's what I've heard. But how do you get people like Ken Jennings and, and Holtz Mauer, whatever his name is, that can win for like a month straight? Yeah, there's actually a book okay. on buzzer technique. I get it. I get it. it I read more. Jeez, you guys. <laughs> God. We don't have to talk if we just read books. Ben, during this session, I think we should just talk about the book. What is it that you remember about it? Sorry, what else are we reading? Okay, yeah, that's the new segment. Then I'm on top of it. Uh, but no, there's a whole book on buzzer technique that James Holtzauer used and a lot of the greats used wow. and all that. And uh, yeah, I found it, it was, I feel like I'm pretty, pretty good on it. I think it's actually like a lack of reflexes uh, because you have to make sure you buzz in at exactly the right time. If you buzz in early, you get locked out. Right, right, right. Ooh. Have you read this book? I haven't read it yet. No, but I have it. No. Oh. But I did pretty well in the mock game is what I'm saying. Is oh, I was good. Okay. pretty good on the buzzer. I was, yeah. When I knew the answer, I was getting it. Nice. So. That's awesome. I, I feel like I would do the worst at that part. Like, I'm not sure I'd do great at the answers either, but oh my gosh, the buzzer scares me. <laughs> yeah. It's like, mm. I think it's like a psychological game when it comes to the buzzer. You just kind of got to breathe through it, man. Not yeah. worry too much about it. You know, people who do the best often like they don't hold it up here. They'll like cross their arms or hold it at their side or something like that. It's like you got to see bit. you out there the whole time, like hands on your head. Yeah. Or, like, like hands straight uh, up to the sky. Oh I have God. a strategy. Yeah. This is how I buzz it. <laughs> <laughs> that would be amazing. Cool. Yeah. Everyone remembers Corey's stint on Jeopardy. But yeah. So that's the game I've been playing. Jeopardy. Awesome. Well, good luck. Uh, Hassan. Yeah. I was hoping you'd all cede your time to me because of just the, the gaming events that have happened uh, in the last month for me oh my. and the excitement of it. Um, Syndicate Deluxe. I finished Persona 5. Oh, nice. Has this been a long time coming? 105 hours. Nice. Holy mother. Which is not terribly slow. It's not on the fast side, but it's, it's pretty average. 100% achievements, all the completion. No, no. I got, uh, I think I got under 50%. Then why are you playing? No. <laughs> um, this does not compute. Yeah, come on. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I was very tempted to do the new game plus right afterwards, uh, but yeah, not go. to. Persona 5, the Royal, the definitive edition comes out at the end of the month. Oh my gosh. I'm, I'm somewhat tempted. I'm going to wait a few months until it goes on sale. Smart. Uh, but oh my gosh. Um, I, and I had a, a really great conversation with, uh, my friend, uh, Gabby Kirilov, my colleague at TCU, about this and the fact that I don't think Persona 5 is in my top 10 games ever. You just spent like, 105 hours and something that's not in your top? Yeah. Yeah. And it had to do with me thinking through, like, and I think Kentucky Route Zero might be. Like, I'm, I am a prisoner of the moment. I'm always like a, ooh, this thing I just <laughs> yeah. played, it has to be it. <laughs> that's true. Um, but, but I finished Persona 5 and I was like, I don't think so. Hmm. And for me, it's about characters and about emotions and about story that usually makes me put a care, put a game in the top 10 mm. and um, or it doing something really innovative and interesting that I, I get excited about a mechanic. I get you know thoughtful about this. No, nah, this was like, 
This was like a, a really good mobile game mixed with a visual novel. Okay. And I was like, I can do that for 105 hours. That sounds great. <laughs> wow. These, these characters are just fine. Okay. They, the anime is very flashy. So it was good enough. It kept you in, but it wasn't like I am enamored of this experience. I, I loved being in the experience and loved giving it very little thought when I wasn't. Mm, like just okay. had, had I didn't want to go like it was just like I would maybe sit on the, the couch being like, oh, I, I could go play some Persona 5 right now. But I wasn't being like, hmm, I wonder what's going on with that character. I, I wonder why they did this. It was just like because that would be fun and it would hit my dopamine and I would like the dopamine. <laughs> please, please for the dopamines and the anime wow. graphics. Gotcha. That makes sense. Um, yeah, it was, but it, it was fun. I really liked it. It was great. I, I had not, I don't think I'd ever played a game like it. It is, it is very weird uh, to me since I had not interacted with that kind of game before. It was great. Uh, quick check-in on my Ring Fit adventure. Uh, I'm level 72. Awesome. Did you say 72? Boom. Killing it. 72. Oh, I, I heard it as two separate numbers. I was like, what does that mean? Okay. 72. 7-2.5. That's a... Oh, man. I am, I am into Ring Fit. I am Ring Fitting. I am sore from Ring Fit today, is what I'm saying. Oh, wow. um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. <laughs> Sounds like a successful month of gaming. Oh, and I spent much of the afternoon yelling at my kids to leave me alone because I was trying to code some Python. So that that's what I call it too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh coding some Python. <laughs> <laughs> Gross. <laughs> Oh, Benjamin Jeffrey. What are you coding? Just start that again. You're yelling at children for... Because <laughs> I was trying to trying to learn how to code some Python because I figured out a, a really easy way to make a script that would tell me when a game came out 10 years ago this month. Did you figure it out? Nope. Wasn't easy oh, at all. Okay. <laughs> uh, That's why I was yelling at the kids. Uh, do you even want to go over your your theory for Corey right now? Or oh, yeah, sure. So, Core, there's there's too many games out there and I want to play all of them. Mm. And sometimes I get like a little you know paralyzed by that. Yeah. I and feel that so, way about books, Jason. I understand it. Right? Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't really love new games all that much. Like, I like old games a lot. Mm-hmm. But I like the excitement of new games and knowing, like, ooh, it's coming out. And so what if I could set up a notification that every month I would get, you know, a tweet, an email, like something that says, hey, five years ago today, these games came out. Ten years ago, these games came out. Fifteen years ago, these games. And twenty, these games. I could get those selections and I could just choose every month like, oh, what game can I play? And here are my choices. Right. Yeah. Knowing the legacy of these games, knowing kind of what happened. I could even start to look into games that I've loved for a while and be like, oh, nah, that was uh, 1997. I got a couple years till that one comes out. All right. <laughs> cool. Just, just hang out. Hang out. I'll come back to it. To get the newness from the alert while getting to play an actual old game. Yeah. And even getting look at, to look forward to it. Yeah. To say, like, I want to go play this old game and then, nope, can't yet. But I have to wait until it comes out, until it's yeah. released by my yeah. algorithm. It, it feels fun to me. It feels like something I would, I would really enjoy. <laughs> I like the mind trick you're playing on yourself with it. I can get behind this. Thank you. <laughs> and next month, we are going to play Broken Age. Tim Schafer Jam, uh, Double Fine Productions. And it's kind of their second big game, I believe, uh, after Brutal, Brutal Legend came out in 09 and then Broken Age came out in 2014. Uh, and yeah, it's look it up, download it, and play with us. Um, but that'll be coming out the first Friday in April, ideally. Yeah. Uh, J- Jason, any thoughts on Broken Age? I am excited to play it. 
it's available for Switch, uh, Mac. Corey, I believe uh, your thoughts were, it looks like something I might like. Yes, which is, you know. Perfect. That's optimistic. That's a a good thing from my angle. I'm like, listen, it looks cute. It does. And I think if there's anything we can say from what I enjoy, it's that I like things that are cute. That's how Tim Schafer reels you in. Yeah. Just wait for Psychonauts 2 coming later this year. (laughs) Cute covered a multitude of sins for me. That's true. Hey, awesome. All right. Is that all we have? No, we've also got Mumph in the news. Mumph in the news. In the news. And this is so recent, Ben, that you may have missed it. This is like yesterday. Somebody hacked into the PlayStation Network. And uh Ruh-roh. Oh yeah, yeah. I did not know about this. They were they were just looking through like uh what kind of stuff you got coming out? Tell me, tell me. Oh wait, wait, wait. Are you telling me that Cyberpunk is coming out next week? No. No, no. It's on a project called Star Wars Colon Maverick and a screenshot. <laughs> and it's a Star Destroyer above some kind of lava planet like Mustafar. And you're I mean top gun. And that's good too. So, so Ben, there's a. Uh, there's I thought a, you said Maverick. You're right. There's a new Star Wars game coming out, uh, and it'll probably be out. Top by, Gun Rogue by, Two. By the end of the year is what people oh. are thinking. Uh, they're thinking fall 2020 is what it looks like, and it's the team that worked on the single player campaign from uh, Battlefront Two. Oh wow! So not sure if it's going to be a multiplayer game or single player or both, but uh, yeah, dude. I mean, and it's different than the Fallen Order. Uh, yes, yes, it is not a Fallen Order sequel. Okay, which is still on track, I believe. Yep. Everything but announced. It yep. seems like they're working on something that's Star Wars related. Yep. It's the same team. Cool. All right, dude. And uh, one last thing, Corey. Uh, before Ben goes through all of our addresses, etc., I just want you to prepare for the fact that at the very end we're, we're going to say a bunch of stuff, and and you can choose now what you'll say. Oh boy. And you can find us on our website. At menoflowmoralfiber.com on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at a bunch of different addresses, but you can find all of those addresses on our aforementioned website. You can also email us at M-O-L-M-M-F-Pod, mumfpod at gmail.com. I'm terrible at saying that. You'll figure it out. Uh, and thank you so much to Wolf Chief for adding, uh, jump, jumping on our Patreon this past month. We have a, a brand new supporter we wanted to shout out. Thank you so much for your support. Uh, and thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon. If you want to Get this episode and all of our episodes early. Uh, you can support us there. Uh, and as always, I have been Ben. I will be Jason. I am Corrigan. And I'm a mighty pirate. And I don't mind a drunk, but I hate a riddle. Uh, See you next month. Bye.